Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good morning. Well, hell, good afternoon, everybody. How are you all today? Man, you all have absolutely no idea. You know, I had to run back home so I could make sure I could do the show today. Well, actually, I was out a little bit earlier. For those of you in the Chicagoland area, Black Lives Matter, um, the Sada's Daughters, the Sisterhood, all of them, they're out at Washington Park on the south side, right there by the University of Chicago. So if you go to like 53rd and King Drive, you'll see them there. They are celebrating Ronnie Man um, and the honor, you know, honoring his his life and his family, but in addition to honoring Ronnie Mann, they are also honoring all of those that have fallen to police violence, and also they're honoring everyone who has lost their lives to senseless violence as well, senseless violence within the community or, you know, intra as well as inter-communal violence. So, you know, they're celebrating the lives of everyone who have who have fallen to violence of any manner this year. And it's been over 2,500 people, you guys. And so they're at Washington Park. You get a chance to get out there. They'd love to see you. They have free food, free drinks. You know, they're barbecuing now. And, you know, it's a a ceremony. So they're going to have the, you know, the poetry. They're going to have some talent out there. They're going to sing. They're going to, you know, just have a good time celebrate, you know, the memories of those that we have lost while also celebrating for those of us who are still here and have the ability to think back on what has happened and for those of us that are out here working to ensure a better future for, you know, all communities, but in particular, you know, black, brown, red, yellow, and poor white communities out there. And I know some people have asked me, you know, on a number of different occasions, why do I always include, you know, poor whites when the focus really should be on black and brown people? And I also focus a lot on Native Americans, and, you know, I'm pretty sure a couple of you all are wondering why. And I've stated a number of times on this show that Native Americans are killed at a greater rate statistically than black and brown people, and that's not being addressed. And so, you know, that's why I bring it up here and there to kind of let you all know, to keep you aware, and also to encourage you to do some research and go out and and look this information up. I want you to fact check me. Do it. So it's important. It's very important, you know, what they say, trust but verify, okay? And one of the reasons why sometimes you'll hear me talking about poor and working class whites is because they are also victims of police violence. And so it's really interesting because the All Lives Matter people always like to, you know, throw it in our faces that we don't care about white people. And then a lot of working class and poor whites who are buying into that particular false narrative are saying, well, you know, there's nothing out here for poor white people like me, and you all don't care about us, and that's not true. You know, if you go back and you look, especially during a time when that domestic terrorist assassin killed all those people in the church in South Carolina, there was a young white man, I forgot his name, I apologize because I didn't mean to bring it up, but I'm just going to go ahead. So they held a rally for him. The Black Lives Matter people held a rally for him, and only about 
two or three white folks showed up. The rest of them were people of color. And I know that's one of the things that I expressed when I gave a talk to the Chicago Ethical Society earlier this year. And I was telling, you know, the white people in the audience, I'm like, yeah, you know, it's great you all show up there and be our allies and, you know, encourage us and support us. That's great. But what about them? You know, and so, you know, I just want people to think about it. You know, as a matter of fact, I mentioned last week about, you know, the same situation because there are, you know, young white people and older white people that are being killed by the police. And, you know, if you go and you look up those hashtags, you will see that the Black Lives Matter people are all over it. And they organize marches, protests, and all of that. So for all of you All Lives Matter people, get up off your bullshit. You don't have anything to say until we see you out there with us. And, you know, what I think is an absolute shame is, you know, sometimes I feel like, you know, we're listening too much to them, to you know, to the naysayers and, you know, trying to prove ourselves. Well, we don't have to prove ourselves to anyone. And the thing is, is that what I don't understand and what really angers me is these, you know, all lives matter people, they want us to protest for everybody while they sit at home in their air conditioning in their little lazy boy chair or what have you. You know, you haven't donated a dime. You haven't donated, a, you know, a case of water, nothing. Only thing you have donated are your words of toxic vitriol. You know, and it's not everybody, but, you know, look, that's, that's the whole thing there. And we're going to have to turn this narrative around, especially in light of that fiasco called, uh, you know, Republican National Convention. Now, this week, I was going to do All Lives Matter, but I changed it to White Lives Matter because that's what that was, four days of a White Lives Matter conference. That is what that was. And I would be remiss if I do not, you know, address that speech that that guy gave. At that, I mean, it bothered me so much that I could not sleep that Thursday evening. And I put it on my wall. It, it bothered me. I was disturbed by it. And I'm still disturbed by it. That's why we're doing this show today, because I'm still a little hot around the collar, because that shit right there, that was terrifying. And for those of you out there who have not seen it, and you're saying, oh, I'm just going to look at them, you know, the notes, you know, someone's going to summarize it. No, uh-uh, that's not going to do. Not only do you have to, you know, it's like don't even just listen to it. I know some people who were saying that they're going to listen to the speech. No, you must watch it. You must watch his demeanor. You must watch his hand gestures. You must watch that you got to see the whole thing in order to, 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 you know, put together, you know, and understand what I'm talking about as far as it being terrified. You know, it's not just the words, but you have to look at his mannerisms and, and how the crowd reacts. It was just, whoo, you know, I had to take a breath, y'all. But, yeah, you know, um, that's what's happening. You know, and I was on the phone with an ally. Um, over the weekend, and we were talking about, you know, the the convention and his speech. And so she was asking me, what did I think of it? And I said, well, 
you know, the first thing that came out of my mouth, I said it was Orwellian. I mean, that's that's the vibe. That's what I was picking up from that, right? And 1984 is one of my favorite books ever. I mean, I think I read it the first time when I was 10, and it's one of my favorite books ever. I really enjoy it. And so, um, yeah, it was Orwellian to me. And, you know, with a little touch of um, Machiavellianism, right? But, you know, and I just, I was outdone. She was just as shocked as myself at that at that speech that he gave and his mannerisms and some of the things that he said. So, you know, I pulled up a transcript of, you know, of the talk that he gave, if you will. And, um, yeah, we're going to have to kind of go over this precept upon precept. You know, it's important because this guy here, you know, because at one point he was talking to, you know, the, 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 the camera, and he was like, yes, our people, you know who you are. So we got to get to that because, like I said, if nothing else, his talk, his speech achieved exactly what he wanted it to achieve, fear, fear. And as I've stated to you all on a number of occasions, fear is an industry. You understand? They make money off of fear. You know, and so it's just the whole thing. It was just, like I said, just disturbing. And I was reading some op-eds, and it was so funny because somebody compared him to Napoleon from Animal Farm, right? And, you know, once I thought about it, and I'm like, yeah, I can see that. (laughs) So, you know, again, with this White Lives Matter movement that he's galvanizing, and, you know, it has some sting. You know, I hate to admit this. However, I honestly think he may win. And that's frightening. And what's so interesting is you have a group of people out here who are stating, and I see you calling, just give me a few and I'll get to you. Um, There are a few people out here that are stating that they may vote for Donald Trump because, you know, by him getting elected, it will bring the revolution, you know, um, you know, it bring on the revolution. And, you know, it's interesting because I saw someone respond to them and say, well, you know, isn't that your privilege? You know, your privilege is allowing you to, to vote for him and to bring on this so-called revolution because, you know, that you have enough money to lead, leave the country, and you have enough money to live in certain places, you know, whereas you probably won't be bothered. And the person, you know, acknowledged that they had some privilege, but, you know, as far as they were concerned, they only have to worry about them and theirs. Now, my response to that is, you know, are you one of those people who say that you're an ally? And if you are truly an ally and you think that way, that, yeah, you want the revolution to come, but you don't want it to touch you, and if need be, you can get you and yours out of harm's way while you leave the rest of us to fight, while you leave the rest of us to drown in this damn soup of bile and bitterness that they're cooking up. So, I mean, yeah, it's privilege, but it's also telling me that you don't give a damn. Now, you know, people say things on the Internet, 
And so maybe you meant that, maybe you didn't. And I would hate to think that some of you out here are sociopaths because that's how I take that type of attitude. When you take that type of position, that the only person and the only thing that matters to you is you, there's a problem with that. And if this was a person of color who made those statements, again, you know, there's a disconnect somewhere in here. So, you know, is this a matter of privilege for you as well? I mean, you know, do you not care about what happens to Pookie and Ray Ray and, you know, Tynesha and all of them? Do you not care? So, you know, again, I want you guys to think about these things. Before you start talking and spitting all that mess out, I want you to think about it. You know, because while you and yours, and I'm assuming that's like your, your, you know, significant other and your children and maybe your parents or whatever, what about your cousins? What about the Pookie and Ray Ray and your family? Or, you know, Junebug and all of them, Billy Bob? What about them? You're going to leave them behind to fight, you know, a revolution that you helped bring into, you know, fruition? What kind of shit is that? So anyway, you know, I'm just reading all of this that is happening with, you know, the Donald Trump thing. I mean, that shit bothered me, you know, and just some of the things that he said, you know, the law and order thing, that was directly to me, that was the direct, you know, shot at Black Lives Matter and any of the, you know, Um, activists that are out here, any of these grassroots organizations, community organizations, he's going to put a stop to that as far as he's concerned. And, you know, I had someone ask me, you know, why he was, you know, talking about that, you know, specific date in January. So I was like, well, part of it is the inauguration. And I said, and probably you never know, that may be the same day that he directs the Department of Justice and other, um, you know, governmental offices, you know, to go after these protesters. And so we don't know what's going on, what's in his head. Well, we know what's in his head. You know, he's already stated that there was a time when they can beat the protesters bloody, and he wants to take it back to that time. So, guys, you know, for those of you out there that are out here in the trenches, as you all say, you know, you need to be careful. You're already being surveilled. You're being surveilled already, and, you know, don't think otherwise. They're keeping an eye on many of us. So don't think you're so special, especially for those of you who refuse to take, you know, take part in any type of real political conversation. It doesn't matter if you're participating in it or not. It doesn't matter if you give a thumbs down to a lot of what's happening. It does not matter. If you are not a white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant, hetero, cisgendered male, you really do not matter to most of these people. So, you know, in anything other than that, they see it as subversive and degenerate, and, and, and you're a degenerate in their eyes. So, man, let me tell you, and like I said, we're going to get to the all lives matter thing, but you know, it's it's crazy because when we say black lives matter, people get mad and they say all lives matter. But then when someone says blue lives matter, that's okay with them. So what's wrong with the black lives matter, you know, 
you know, um, particular colloquial there. Is it because of the black part? I mean, blue is okay, right? So if blue is okay, why isn't black okay? So anyway, it's a number of things that we're going to get to because, you know, what's been going on is, you know, this is mayhem and chaos ready to break forth. It's like if that man wins, you know, they're going to kick open Pandora's box, and it doesn't help that he has idiots like Rudy Rudy Giuliani, you know, on his side, and a number of other ones, Alex Jones, all of that madness. And, you know, for those of you that have not been keeping up, you know, um, some of the presidents at many HBCUs, I believe it was about 20 HBCUs, they have, you know, um, stated their support of Black Lives Matter. A lot of these celebrities are coming out and, you know, um, supporting Black Lives Matter. And, again, you know, we, you know, this is for everybody, black, brown, red, yellow, and even though some of you all don't really get it or don't understand it or want to remain willfully ignorant in your own way, you know, yes, you know, you know, working class and poor whites are treated bad too. And so what's so interesting about all of this, I see both of you callers, give me a minute here. What's so interesting, you know, about all of this is, you know, uh Forgot the point I was going to make, damn it. So anyway, you know, we just got to keep moving forward and moving forward, you know, some of the things that he stated, you know, especially when he was talking to his people, you know, my people. I want to know who my people are. You know, you all should be freaking terrified. So, you know, before I get into really tearing this speech apart, I'm going to, you know, bring, you know, these callers in. Let's see what they have to say. All right, 504, you've been waiting for a few minutes here. Let me get you on board. May we ask who's calling? Yes, I'm calling from New Orleans. I've called him a few times uh, before, spoken with you on, on your show. Uh, enjoy <laughs> your, uh, your commentary. But I, I want to make a statement here, and I want it to be understood very, very, very clearly. Well, initially, my assessment of the campaign is that Donald Trump's running for president and having the image of a ridiculous person was designed to make it easier for Hillary Clinton to win. So that's a possibility to consider, that the corporate elite have selected Hillary Clinton. That's a possibility. But, of course, if people are going to the polls and vote and there are different dynamics happening socially, they could pull the lever for Donald Trump. But my sentiment at this point, now let me be say, I am not voting for Hillary Clinton. I am not voting for Donald Trump. I am not a Republican. I don't identify with a Democrat. I may not even go vote. But what I wish, what I do wish, is that a Donald Trump does win so African Americans can completely cut themselves off from worrying about who's in the White House. We've spent eight years of it, and it has gotten us nowhere. We spent eight years of it in the Clinton administration, and it has gotten us nowhere. I want us to focus on our strengths as a people, to come into our communities and use the resources in our hands to redevelop a paradigm to help 
ourselves. This idea of some person coming into the White House to lift us up is dead. Nothing is coming. No lifeboat, no life jacket, no liberal white, no conservative white. It's gone. I want us cut off from being preoccupied with shallow stuff in terms of who's in the White House and wondering who's attacking them. We have been wasting time from developing ourselves. The worst of open racial hostility that we lived under in the past, we were a better community of people. We had institutions that were stronger and relevant to our needs and served us. But as we evolve into this uh, thing about, uh, oh, 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 the Republicans are the evil guys, the Democrats are the good guys, or the lesser of the two evils, let's confront the real evil and get it out the way. So the lesser evil might not even consider dealing with us. Let's confront the real evil and knock it all down, and let's have this battle roar and go face to face. All right, now, you said what you meant and meant what you said, so let me address some of what you said. Now, me, I'm not a Republican, nor am I a Democrat. I consider myself an independent. And, you know, I understand perfectly where you're coming from. And one of the points that I wanted to make was when you talked about the Clinton administration. So people go back and look at what happened during Reagan, and you see what he implemented in the eight years that he was in office. And, you know, go out and look up, you know, Ronald Reagan basically put black people back into slavery. And Noam Chomsky does a great breakdown of that. And what Ronald Reagan didn't do, Bill Clinton finished it with that, you know, that that contract with America, with NAFTA, with the crime bill, with the deregulation of, you know, stock exchange as well as the mortgage industry. And for a lot of blacks and black and brown folks, they put a lot of their money into real estate. And that wealth was wiped out. And where we are now economically, we are in worse shape than we were in the 50s and the 60s. And that's something for you all to think about. And I've talked about the New Deal and how it was sold to black people. Because what people need to understand is that black people at that time, before the New Deal, they were Republicans. And then once the New Deal was implemented and they were promised all of these, you know, incentives and privileges and it never manifested, but then they started voting for the Democrats. And in order for the um, the New Deal to have passed, they had to get the Democrats to sign on to that, and they were known as the Dixiecrats then, which was, you know, they started the Ku Klux Klan. And so, you know, when you're talking about the Republican and the Democratic Party today, to me, they're all the same. You know, some people just know how to, you know, um, how can I put it, they just know how to project their racism without being, you know, overt. Some are subverts, some are over, and we need to understand that. But as far as, you know, us, you know, getting back into our community, building a stronger community, I agree with that 100%. And, you know, and we've talked about this over the years. You know, I've talked about co-ops and a number of things. And where my major concern with what you're saying there is, see, we have the knowledge, we have the skills, we can make that happen. The problem all along, you know, you got to go back and look at what happened in Tulsa and and uh, Wilmington and all of those places, whereas they were black, affluent, politically, 
conscious, culturally conscious cities that poor and working class whites got jealous and they went over there and they mobbed the place, which means they killed the blacks or chased them out of town, stole the land, tore up the deeds, claimed that land and all of their possessions as their own. So, you know, I understand about us building a community. To me, the biggest obstacle is how do we keep it? And so that goes into another, you know, um, dynamic of conversation. But, yeah, no, we need to get back, and we need to start we, doing for ourselves. We, we have people that have played games on us as a people in the political realm. And mm-hmm. one of the big games is the lesser of the two evils. See, that's a game. I don't that's believe a in that. Game. That's a cycle yeah, game. Yeah, and I don't believe in that. Right. So my yeah, I don't believe my, in the two evils because evil yes, is evil. My, it doesn't matter. Well, well, okay. My position is if there is a lesser of a, a, a greater evil, let's get the greater evil out the way. Let's confront that. Right. Let's move on with that, and then we might see progress. But this right. idea, see, see, it, it seems to me that over the last. 35, 40 years as a social group with all of the technology and with all of the the jobs African-Americans, professional jobs African-Americans have gotten in buying beautiful homes. And it's like we have become more dependent. In other words, the idea that we can solve our problem without any paternalism. Now, you've got paternalism mm-hmm. on the white left, Paternalism on the white right, paternalism on the white democratic liberal structure. This idea that we need somebody to recognize. Now, let me give you a historical fact. Even when it was acknowledged during the conquest of the Americas, even though it was acknowledged by the conquistadors and the white priests that Indians were being killed that it was acknowledged that the slave trade was wrong. While those people, while those whites were acknowledging these evils and that they were evil, guess what? It was still going on. Exactly. They profited from it. But but the point is, uh, uh, just it's like we're in some sort of uh, debate with whites to acknowledge. Why don't you just... Uh, this is what we say to whites. Why don't you all just acknowledge and face up that we're treated differently? But see, that we shouldn't even want to get in that kind of conversation with them because right. even if they acknowledge it, it's still happening to you while they say, okay, Joe, you're right. The police treat black differently than white. Now, while they're saying that, you're still getting mistreated by the police. So, so we exactly. need to cut ties exactly. with all of yeah. this. Yeah, we need to cut ties oh, yeah. with all of these. No, I'm saying what I'm saying is I I agree with you on that. You know, mm-hmm. um, they acknowledge you know the the maltreatment of blacks and browns in in this country, and while they're acknowledging it, they're still not trying to give up their white privilege, and they're not putting forth an effort to deconstruct or dismantle white supremacy. I'm right there with you. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, even, yeah. So, so you know, I mean. Mm-hmm. In closing, in closing, as I retreat to listen to the rest of your show, I'm saying I want the roughest and toughest and meanest white people back up at the forefront because it is proven 
that black people are better people when that type of reality is before us. But as long as we have we have uh, what I call silent killers, you know, they say mm-hmm. high blood pressure, high blood pressure right. is a silent killer. Well, yes, white paternalism and white liberalism and the Democratic Party is a silent killer. We're screaming and marching and saying, hands up, don't shoot. He can't breathe in Black Lives Matter under a Democratic regime where the black guys are all at the top. Right. Right. I mean, hey, I can't argue with that. you on that. We, we I can't, do all I can't. that. Let's just do it with the white folk at the top. There you go. You know, then, like I said, I can't even argue with that point that you just made because you're absolutely correct. You know, and I, in my opinion, is is that we squandered any opportunity to possibly have, you know, President Obama make any changes. But again, it all boils down to he's just a figurehead; his power is limited. And then we also have to remember, you know, even though he called himself a community organizer or an activist. He didn't come from the same communities that we did. Barack Obama was raised with white privilege. Barack Obama was raised around wealthy white folks, and and, and that's just how it is. And I believe that his Mm -hmm. mindset is different. And if he could have done anything, I still don't believe that he would have done so. And so, I mean, I understand exactly, you know, what you're saying about us just kind of pulling back and allowing them to have their system and we sit back and watch it implode. But while we do that, we work to build our own communities. And so, and I you mean, are I get that. Them. When you're not being dependent, when you're showing that you're going to take care of yourselves, you are tearing the system down because the system wants us to be like little infants crying and screaming, begging for love, Crawling at their foot Wanting acceptance But when you say to the system Do what you plan to do system We are not Destined by God to be Slaves or to be Dominated or serve anybody We're going to do what we have to do And the system will come down So there you go And that's the whole thing You know because I've had these conversations In a number of different places and basically, many of us agree with why are we begging these white people to see us as human, you know, and I fully 100% agree with that. You know, we shouldn't have to beg anyone to see us as human. You know, people should just see us as human, period. And it's just it's amazing because when you try to bring this across and we have to stop apologizing, and here's the point that I was going to make earlier about something that you said. One of the things that I can say about the black community, especially in regards to dealing with, you know, white people in charge, we have been taught to negotiate with terrorists. And white people have been terrorizing our communities from the very beginning. And and they expect us to run out and say that we forgive them after they come and kill up you know, everybody that we know and steal everything that we have, and, you know, they've put us on a 400-year guilt trip. And so, you know, we almost always have to forgive them and, and, and their insistence that we assimilate, 
you know, and it, it's just horrible. And the thing about it is when we say no and we talk about their cultural appropriation, then they want to turn around and say, well, you're appropriating our culture with the blonde hair. And it's like, no, black people cannot, you know, appropriate the culture of white people. Why? Because this is the dominant, you know, culture. All we can do is assimilate And people need to understand this. And, again, like I said, this 400-year guilt trip, you know, it's a form of Stockholm Syndrome. And, you know, it all goes all the way back to, you know, when we were crying out and begging them to see us as human. And, you know, it's just interesting when I had this one white guy calling in, and he was challenging, you know, the concept of race as it being a social construct. We had that little conversation, but, you know, he was really surprised when I took it back to the Constitution because in order for us to have, you know, to to get free or any type of freedom or liberation, our white allies are going to have to go out there and stand in front and go out on a limb and start forcing changes. And that's part of what I wanted to talk about in the All Lives Matter show, which will be next week. Because it's like when you come to me and you say all lives matter, what you really should mean by that is we're going to take over the fight right now. We're going to fight so that all lives really truly do matter, and you don't have to say that black lives matter. We'll say that, and we're going to force them and deconstruct this system to make it fair and equitable for everyone. But you and I both know that's not going to happen. They're not going to give up their white privilege, and they're going and they're going to fight it tooth and nail. But additionally, that system was built so that it will never fail. It, it's been built that way, and it's not just in the United States. This is global. And so, you know, it's just really interesting having these conversations, you know. But let me ask you a question, and then I'll let you go here. Um, did you see Donald Trump's talk at the conference, at the convention. Yes, I saw I saw the whole thing, yes. Okay, what's your opinion on his speech and his speech alone? Well, his uh, political strategy is to attract that mass of white voters who've been angry mm-hmm. and with the anticipation to attract. So I can't angry with him on it. It's a political strategy. But I do not right. believe personally because of the theatrics of politics and the entertainment involved, I do not believe he's some more dangerous guy than Hillary Clinton. We've got evidence on the Clintons and what the Clinton policies <laughs> did to black America. Right. We got that evidence. Right, right, right. So it's, it's, we have to consider the fact that politics is entertainment and mm-hmm. each politician is doing what they uh, need to do, I'm putting that in quotation marks, for example, let me show you how contradictory right. black people are. Let me show you how hypocritical we are. When Barack Obama denounced Jeremiah Wright, you know what black people said? Oh, that's what he got to do. That's what he got to do to get elected. And we said that with no concern about our integrity, about the type of work Reverend Wright did in the community, the type of speaking right. truth, the power he did. Oh, we didn't we didn't see that. But we wanted to cut Reverend Wright's throat so we could have a black president. Well, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton doing what they got to do. Right. And here's another thing too, right. we said. Here's another thing we said when Barack was running for president. 
when people like ourselves ask the question, well, where is the agenda that addresses the concerns of black people Barack Obama had? That one question tore black America apart. Oh, right. he's going to be the right. president for everybody. We don't need no black agenda. He's going to be for everybody. So if Trump becomes president, if Hillary Clinton becomes president, I'm going to be the first one to say, oh, no, no, black America, they got to be the president for everybody. <laughs> See, we don't put our foot. See, we don't put our foot in our mouth. See, we don't put our foot in our mouth. Let me tell you this, too. Let me tell you this. I'm not a very religious person. I'm not a very religious person. Mm-hmm. Suppose the things we've been seeing that have been highlighted with the continuing abuse of police been on camera and the protests, suppose through some sort of spiritual outlook, this is a curse on black America for selling their integrity to one other black president. Suppose we ate from the tree of the forbidden fruit. Okay, interesting, interesting, and I'm going to have to think about that and, you know, try to put that in perspective. But, yeah, yeah no, words, I mean, I understand. Saying, yeah, in other words, mm-hmm. whenever white people give you something like they gave us Obama, poison going to be hooked to it, poison. So all of these so black there you people go. at the top, all these black people at the top, the president, the second black attorney general, the first black female in there, the black homeland security, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to depart. With all of these black mayors and everything, it's as if you have an old white man who couldn't get it up before he got prostate cancer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 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 That's the state. That's the state of electoral politics in black America. The congressional black caucus members, the black mayors, the, with, with all due respect to the beautiful sister in Baltimore, the black district attorney, the black police chief in Dallas, the black man in Baton Rouge, we go on and on. Collectively, right. they are like a penis that could not get erected before prostate cancer been discovered. Well, all right, then. Cool. So we're going to leave on that note. <laughs> but I tell you, you know, that's like them okay. telling you to catch the ball and your hands are cuffed behind your back, you know. So I get you. I get you. But thanks okay. for calling in. I always appreciate it. Even, even when we crash, you. I, you know, I like hearing from you. Okay, well, I'm going to put you on hold, and we're going to bring this okay. other caller in, okay? okay. All right, hold all on, right. Well, alrighty then, guys. You know, um, that's a real interesting way of looking at that. And yes, they're all politicians, and that's one thing. And I'm going to get to you, Paulie, in a few seconds here. That's one thing that we, you know, that I've been putting out here is that you have all these politicians out here making these promises, and we elect them based on the promises that they make to us. But how we should be looking at this situation is how many of those promises have they made good on? And do they continue to make good on those promises? And are they, in fact, working for the community? Has your community, you know, um, has your community grown? Has your community profited? Have your community, has your community flourished when these people were in office? So that's something to think about. Let's bring this other caller in. All right, 206, may we ask who's calling? The big funny Travis Simpson. 
All right. I got, I'm doing great, Kim. I got a lot of things to respond to. First of all, the way to prevent prostate cancer is to masturbate five times a week. Number two, uh, I'm going backwards on what, what was said. Uh, let's go back to the beginning. Look, y'all should have called me, and I told people for months that Black Lives Matter was not going to work. It's the wrong phrase. I'm going to give you four that are better, okay? One. Okay. Instead of having to photographs with a bunch of black people with Black Lives Matter, how about black folks with t-shirts that say only white lives matter or you only think you're white or cameras don't matter if you're black or evidence doesn't matter if you're black any one of those right. black lives matter okay number number uh number two uh i was watching dick gregory and dick gregory said that uh you got to in order to stop them from killing us, the, the cops, you got to give them something. He said you got to put them on insurance, and if you kill somebody, you lose your insurance. But if you keep your job and don't kill anybody uh, in, in the wrong situation, you know, all your kids get to go to college for free, or you get a parachute at the end of your career. And basically it's, do you hate me more than you love your kids? Okay, next. Um, <laughs> Okay. Uh, the brother, the brother was just on there. I was with him until the, the maybe this is because of the Obama shit. Um, uh, uh-huh. I was with him all the way, uh, and he's right. He's absolutely right. Hey, Trump should be the president. Uh, somebody said something that blew my head up, uh, 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 Kim. They said, uh, "How is Trump worse than a Clinton?" Clinton's put in three strikes and you're out. Privatized prisons, welfare reform, they team up with black preachers to extract property from the black community. Uh, mm-hmm. How? And during that time, all Trump was doing was trying to keep models from getting half his stuff. Okay. Next. Uh, <laughs> all right. There's a couple more real quick, and I gotta go. Um, uh-huh. I'll call back. Um, let me think. Here's another one. Um, shoot, 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 shoot. Oh. Um, he's absolutely right, okay? If black people think that Obama's going to do something, then they'll just wait. But if you knew it was Romney, then you would have you, you, buckled in a little bit better. Look, if Obama didn't do nothing, Hillary ain't going to do nothing. And right. if Trump's doing stuff, the, 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 for lack of a better term, the good whites in the liberal party will keep an eye on Trump on everything he does. And then we can go and, and do our own thing and let them fight it out because neither party's helping us and uh, and black lives mm-hmm. don't matter. Uh, black lives don't matter. In so many uh, words. And and you got to also uh, do what is white supremacy versus white privilege. And you got to understand that nobody in this country, other than maybe what Bill Gates and a couple other people, maybe not even Bill Gates, has anything but. Uh, they got white uh, privilege, white supremacy. You got to have a trillion dollars, because white supremacy is a James. Okay, because white supremacy is an attitude. Is an attitude. Yeah, you exactly. got a trillion dollars. Exactly. To have that attitude. Okay. Anyway, I got to go. Oh, so you have a trillion. Remember my number. I got to go. Oh, okay, I was going to say. Sorry. Bye bye. Yeah, so basically, you know, what Travis was saying, I understand that. And, you know, we have the trillionaire class. 
you know, coming in this country. You know, you have some people, they're right there at it. So you're going to be seeing a lot of that just disgusting, you know, <laughs> you know, disgusting show of capitalism there. But, um, yeah, you know, Travis, as well as the other caller, made some great points, you know, many of which I concur and I agree with. And what's so interesting is when I look back, and especially, you know, when I started this show in 2011 until now, I've seen my growth. I've seen how some of my opinions have grown, some of my opinions have evolved. Because when you read and you talk to other people and, you know, you have them break it down for you, you go and you do your research and you understand to know better is to do better. You know, and so I would tell everyone to take some time and introspect and think about, you know, where your belief system was at, you know, a few years ago, you know, a decade ago, and compare it to where you are now and understand that you do not know everything there is to know. You should be learning something new daily. And so, you know, what Travis said was correct. Um, When I went to the store after I left the park, I picked up, you know, I had to go pick up something to eat. I didn't feel like cooking today, so I went and picked up something to eat. And I had on my unapologetically black T-shirt. And so, you know, it was this one guy, white man, that stopped me. And he looked and he said, unapologetically black. And I said, yes. And he said, well, what does that mean? And, you know, I gave him a definition of how, you know, I'm a black woman, I'm black American, I'm, I'm all of these different things, and I don't apologize for it. My opinions are those, you know, and, and, and I backed them up. And he basically said, he said, well, what if I had on a white, um, um, unapologetically white shirt? And I told him, well, that would be redundant. And he said, well, what do you mean by that? And I said, the way that the system is set up in America, you eat, breathe, sleep, wake up to shower, all of that in white privilege. So, you know, you're being unapologetically white. That's a given. So you don't have to wear a T-shirt like that. We all know what it is, you know. And he just sat there and he looked and he was a little stunned. And he says, well, I guess if you say it that way, I can kind of understand. And I'm like, yes, you don't have to say unapologetically white. You know, you eat, breathe, sleep that all day long. So, you know, and, and you know, the, the fruit of, from that tree, from that tree of white supremacy, you know, is it, telling you that all of these things that you should be entitled to, that, you know, it's, it's, it's your privilege, it's, your, it's yours for the taking. And that's where a lot of this problem comes in here with Donald Trump, because as I was listening to his talk, you know, some of the things that he said, you know, he was pandering to a number of other groups you know, out there, you know, the outliers, the marginalized people. And when he talked about the LGBTQ community, which I thought was interesting at a Republican conference, and he even acknowledged, you know, when he got some, you know, claps behind it, and he acknowledged that, you know, he was glad that they clapped because he knew that's an issue as far as, you know, the Republican platform is concerned. But his main statement was that, he was not going to allow any type of foreign ideology or what have you 
to come to this country and kill them like what happened in Orlando at the Pulse nightclub. Now, you know, for those that are familiar with the show or even familiar with me, I've stated on a number of occasions that what happened at the Pulse nightclub, that was not, you know, a radical Islamic type of showing. That's not what it was. That was a hate crime based on sexuality. And I really do believe that the young man was, you know, um, you know, lashing out because he was a member of the LGBTQ community and his father was, you know, homophobic, if you will. And so it's a number of things that you have to go back and look at. And especially when people were giving the accounts of what happened, when he first walked into the club, he saw some blacks and he told them to get out. And even when they were in the bathroom, then he spoke up, you know, asking if there were any black people in there. And one of the gentlemen spoke up and he said, you know, you've been treated like shit in this country and I have no problems with you. You know, and so, you know, the whole thing is just, it's it's amazing at, you know, how all of this is unraveling and how it's coming, you know, it's unraveling, yet it's still coming together. You know, I know that probably sounds you know, like oxymoron, and it looks that way, and it's it's amazing. But, you know, looking at all of that and putting it in place, you know, and I one of the comments I made after Trump, you know, made that statement about Pulse, and I said, well, you know, he's saying that he's not going to allow foreign terrorism to come into the country and terrorize, you know, Americans. What about domestic terrorism? You know, you're not going to let the foreign terrorism come in, but are you going to allow white people to, you know, continue their brigade or their, their, you know, their brigade of terrorism, domestic terrorism, and all of these different communities? Are you going to allow them to continue that with impunity? You know, because, you know, what's happening is like, you know, white, angry white men are out here and taking their frustrations out on everyone else. And, of course, Donald Trump is not going to necessarily directly um, address that. And, you know, basically he's out here, not only is he appealing to just angry whites in general, he's specifically appealing to angry white men. So the caller was right when he was talking about the patriarchal system. And that is where Donald Trump's, you know, that's that's where his thoughts, his ideology, that's the center of it. And so we have to look at this and, you know, put it all into perspective. But for the activists that are out there, you know, I much love, much love, much love, because this guy here, you know, if he gets in office and, you know, he starts releasing you know, the governmental bullies that can come out and, you know, create havoc, not only in the communities, but, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with COINTELPRO, I would advise you guys to go out and look it up. And what that stands for is counterintelligence program. So you need to look that up. You need to look at how that particular program was started and implemented for, you know, the Black Power Civil Rights Movement, as well as another, you know, other movements as well. It just wasn't that one specifically. So, you know, they were basically, you know, going after the hippies and a number of other people. 
But, you know, from, you know, my understanding and what I've been reading was, you know, the Black Panther Party, they had not anticipated the length that the American government would go to to stop them. And, you know, Fred Hampton, you know, he was killed, he was murdered in his home. And, I mean, and I'm just looking at all of that, what happened with the Black Panthers. For those of you who aren't familiar with, with what happened with MOVE in Pennsylvania, you need to go and look that up, too. And, and again, I can't state that. I didn't really get a chance to, you know, kind of gnaw at this last week on the show, but I brought up about how Micah X, Johnson was killed by robot, bombed by robot. And I brought that up, and I was talking about due process and how, you know, the assassin that killed those black people in that church, he was brought in, they gave him Burger King, probably rubbed his feet and everything else, and they still will not call him a domestic terrorist. And so, you know, these black men, not only Micah there, but the other one in Baton Rouge, whose name escapes me right now, and I apologize, but, you know, he was also killed instantly. And, you know, no due process there. And what's interesting, like I said, with the whole situation, you know, they were talking about three people in both instances, and it only ended up with a lone black man who was killed before anyone could question him. So, you know, again, you know, like the other caller and Travis said, you know, for many in this country, black lives do not matter. They don't care what we're saying. And the only reason why black lives matter even, you know, a little bit for some of them is because we work for their corporations. They underpay us, overwork us, and we make money for them. And with a lot of these, you know, people out here that are angry and part of these white nationalist groups, you know, they're not going to be happy, some of them, until blacks are in slavery again and earning them the money and wealth that they feel that they deserve, that their forefathers were able to have. And it's just so interesting because ever since we decided to not work for free with the emancipation, we've been called lazy ever since. And I'm telling you guys, you know, what Ronald Reagan didn't do, Bill Clinton finished it. And that's one of the reasons why I have some issues with, you know, Hillary Clinton. Well, I have a number of issues with her for a number of different things. But, you know, I want you guys to go back and take a look at all of that. So, you know, Donald Trump, it's like this. If I don't give him credit for anything else, I will give him credit for coming out and in so many words telling us that, you know, fuck us. That's basically what he's saying. And he's appealing to, you know, marginalized white people in this country, you know, and he's appealing to their irrational fears. But at the same time, he's terrifying the hell out of the rest of us. So, you know, you all need to go and look up and, you know, one of the, the, the tenets of his speech, he said safety would be restored, you know. And and the picture that he painted of, of America, I'm like, what the hell? Where, am, where have I been living? You know, because I didn't know we were having that many problems. 
you know, you know, at least that badly. I know we have problems in this country, but the picture that he painted and just the, his mannerisms, you know, for a long time, you know, me and one of my allies, and we've been talking about this, and for the longest of times, I kept saying that I think Donald Trump is trolling us, you know, because that's what it feels like, but, you know, this, this, this is horrible. You know, and the fear-mongering that's going on in these rallies and these talks and speeches and, and the the blogs that they're putting out, you know, it's scary. And what's even more terrifying for me as a woman of color is I'm looking at these white people believing that shit. You know, and it's just I don't even know what to say. And it's so funny because, you know, America and, you know, even over there in Great Britain, you know, they colonized everybody. They imported all these folks, you know, black people and others to come over here and work. And then when they would no longer work for free and started demanding equal rights, then all of a sudden now it's a problem. You know, they don't want them there. You know, they want to send you back to where you came from. And a lot of people aren't aware that, when the blacks were emancipated, you know, basically they brought in Chinese workers over here to till the fields, and they were still using Latino workers as well. So you need to understand the history because I'm just laughing. You know, they want to talk about the immigrants, but you're the one that brought many of them over here. In addition to bringing many of them over here, you filibustered a lot of land that belonged to them. And, you know, the whole thing about, you know, what he's talking about and making America great, if you will, the caller I had last week, you know, he was talking about um, black eyes, white eyes, and all of that, and I appreciate his call. But, you know, has America ever been great? Because this country was founded from the very beginning on criminality, and it maintains and it stays there even to this day. You know, you stole the land from the indigenous people, and then you poisoned them, and then you all, and a lot of people don't realize this, they enslaved some of the Native Americans, but they could not handle the workload, and they started dying off. They were dying off too fast. And so that's when they brought in imported more Africans to do a lot more of the heavy labor. And what was interesting is, you know, you have these people talking about the, you know, Second Amendment and the militia. You know, they were paying the Native Americans $20 per slave. So they had enlisted them as being slave catchers as well, kind of like, you know, what they call them, bounty hunters. And so it's just interesting, you know, to look at, all of the history of this country. But, yeah, white lives matter, you know, and they mean that, and that's not going to change Donald Trump's, you know, um, ascent, you know, in, in, in politics. That proves it. He has not been, you know, how can I be? he has not bridled his tongue. He's saying exactly what he means, and he means exactly what he's saying. And, you know, what's so interesting is, you know, they're pointing the finger at President Obama and his policies, and, you know, but they're overlooking, you know, a lot of policies that were put in place by some of the other white Republicans and and other Democrats. 
as the caller said, they're all pretty much on the same team. And that's something that people need to understand. But, guys, like I said, you have to see that speech, not just listen to it. You have to watch it, and you have to see, you know, his mannerisms, and it's just it's crazy. You know, <laughs> you know um, yeah, it, it was, you know, his message was really clear. And it was well received by certain sectors of this country, and that should worry you because, you know, these are the old ladies that live on your block, the old men that, you know, walk around the neighborhood, and, you know, and I'm talking about some of the white people. And, you know, there are some blacks that are definitely behind Donald Trump. And the only thing that, you know, I can see that would attract some of these black people are the fact that Donald Trump is promising them things because Daryl Scott, who's the pastor of a megachurch in Ohio, he gave a talk at the RNC, and basically, you know, he gave a little sermonette, if you will. And I'm like, I was just sitting there and I was watching that, and, you know, these people are selling out for possible, you know, incentives, privileges, you know, what have you, from Donald Trump, you know, and again, go back and look up the faith-based initiatives. You need to understand what they are, what they do. And so, you know, Daryl Scott, you know, my whole thing is his congregants, you know, I'm going to have a show just for, you know, the black church, you know, because there are some things that we need to talk about. And some of the things that you all are supporting is horrific. You know, what's so interesting is in many cases you'll have the pastor, you know, out here stumping for one of these people, and the congregation will clap and all of that, but then they go on and they vote for whomever they want to vote for. And so, you know, some some of them, you know, they don't pay any attention. But, yeah, you know, when Donald Trump was talking about I and I alone, can solve all of the problems in the United States as well as globally all over the world. To me, when I saw that, Donald Trump declared himself as God. And what was so interesting about his talk is that the only time he the name God is when he said, God bless you, and that's it. You know, he took no position on you know, foreign policy, took no position on domestic policy. He took no position on, you know, many of the ills in this country and what he was going to do to fix them. He just painted a very dark, very bleak picture of what some people see in this country. And especially when he was saying that, you know, um, we will be a country of law and order. And he's been saying that a lot. And, again, we've heard him make threats towards the Black Lives Matter as well as other organizers and activists, you know, across this country. And, you know, it's authoritarianism. And he wants to govern from the top down. And in order for us to get any type of real social change, you know, happening in this country, it's going to have to start at the bottom and work its way up. Because what's so interesting is you have a lot of these wealthy white elitists and some black, wealthy black elitists as well, the black misleadership class, as some people like to call them. 
and, you know, there is a disconnect. They don't know how we're living. They don't understand what's happening to us. They may have been one of us way back when, but they're not one of us now, and they're going to do whatever they need to do to ensure their prosperity and the prosperity of those that are close to them. So there's that cronyism, you know, for you there. But, um, you know, when Donald Trump said that, um, you know, he had a message for all of us, the crime and violence that today afflicts our nation will soon, and I mean very soon, come to an end. Beginning on January 20th of 2017, safety will be restored. And so it's like, you know, are we going to be put in a police state? Is he going to declare martial law in this country? The police departments have already been militarized. So, I mean, what are we going to do? You know, are you all going to go out there and start, you know, basically squashing and beating and killing, you know, the activists? What exactly are you going to do and what are you trying to achieve with that? You know, because, again, he's one of those people who feel as though we have more than enough. You know, we're privileged to live in this country, and we're privileged, and we have things because white people allow us to have these things. And if we're unhappy, we can leave. And, you know, just for some of you guys that are out there, you want to do some search searches, go ahead and do a Google search on Donald Trump, Black Lives Matter. And you're going to see all kinds of suggestions, you know, black um, Donald Trump send back, back to Africa and a number of things like that. So, yeah, go and look that up, you know, and it's just it's just crazy, you know, and he's saying that we cannot afford to be so politically correct anymore. However, to be honest with you, most of those people have never necessarily been politically correct as far as the context that he's trying to put forth. You know, and he says at his convention there would be no lies, and they honor the American people with the truth and nothing else. And you know, he he told a number of lies. You know, a lot of false statements, not only from him, but a lot of the people that were there talking. You know, you had Chachi from Happy Days there, and what's so interesting because I was telling a friend about this. You know, many many years ago on some of the. Um, you know, message boards and blogs that I used to visit. And they used to always talk about Scott Bayo and how he was racist, right, which kind of shocked the heck out of a lot of us. But, you know, you hear things like that and you blow it off, you know, and I don't know. I'm just, you know, he's allegedly, you know, racist. And being up there with that and some of the things that he said as well, it's just crazy because, you know, I believe most of their speeches were written for them because a lot of it was coded, and you have to pay attention, you know. And one of the biggest lies that Donald Trump stated in his speech, you know, crime has actually decreased in this country, you know, and he's saying that it's increased, and, you know, that's the largest increase in 25 years. That is not correct. You know, it has decreased. And so look this stuff up. Look it up, look it up, look it up, because this is fear-mongering at its finest. And, you know, he terrified the hell out of everybody. And, of course, you know, he had to talk about Chicago, the home of President Obama. And, yeah, you know, it has been over 2,500 people killed in the city of Chicago this year alone. That's true. 
However, you know, the context in which he was, you know, trying to make that is, you know, he was trying to make people believe that this is going to happen, you know, um, more so, and this is going to happen across the country. And, you know, of course, he had to bring up about police officers being killed. And if you go and you look up the information, police officers mainly have been killed by white men, not by black people. Go and look that up, fact check that information. You know, then he's talking about the illegal immigrants with criminal records. So, you know, why don't we talk about this? The so-called founding fathers, you know, the people that were sent to America, you know, initially, you know, the blue bloods, right, and um, the Mayflower folks. They were the queen's bastards. They were getting kicked out of England. And you had thieves, robbers, murderers, all of those. That is what was sent to this country. You know, and it's so interesting because nobody wants to talk about that, about how the Americans that were sent over here initially were the queen's bastards, if you will. So go back. You need to go and look this up. This is why I tell you guys history is a weapon, you know, and I think a lot of the, you know, um, terror that I felt, you know, after watching his speech is because as he was giving it, I'm like, that's a lie. That's not true. You're exaggerating here. But I also knew that people were believing this. And, you know, while people are believing, you know, these these lies and these half-truths, you know, they're going to tell other people and they're going to say, yeah, we need to do something about this. And what's so interesting is, you know, the dumbing down of America. And, you know, when I saw those people chanting, you know, lock her up, you know, about Hillary Clinton, you know, I just clinched, especially when Donald Trump was giving his talk. And looking at the people who were just, some of them that were chanting and, you know, dancing and, you know, all of that, all happy. And I'm looking at some of them in their eyes, and they were looking like, you know, they were looking dead to me, empty eyes. And they were just going along with the program, you know. And, I mean, if you even looked at, you know, the convention in its entirety, you know, um, it was not one of their greatest conventions. You know, most of the people there did not support Trump but they support the party. And so, again, go back and look. And then when he started trying to pander to the black community, he said nearly 4 in 10 African-American children are living in poverty, while 58% of American youth are now unemployed. And so what's so interesting about that is, for those of you, you want to go back, and this is something that happened on President Obama's watch. They decreased... Um, the amount of money for LINK, which is the food stamp program, but, you know, money to aid families with food. And, you know, they decreased it across the board, but then, you know, you know there were some policies put in place in which it increased the money for the people living in a lot, of, a lot of these, you know, country rural areas. And so they got more money. And, yes, black children are living under harsher um, elements now. You know, it's a harsher way of life than it was, you know, 10 years ago. So, you know, there are a lot more black children now living in poverty, you know, and that's the thing, that part right there 
you know, it's interesting. But, you know, he was giving all of these wild, you know, numbers, and um, they weren't adding up. You just had to go on and look at the census, you know, even though it says 36% of blacks under 18, you know, were below the poverty line in 2014, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting, you know, just looking at this. But if we're going to talk about unemployment for black people, let's go all the way back, you know, because I always talk about the New Deal. And so before the New Deal was implemented, the ratio of black to white unemployment was one to one. So if it was one unemployed white person, it was one unemployed black person. After the New Deal and some of the conciliatory you know, measures put in place to, you know, empower the, you know, the Democrats or the Dixiecrats in which they still wanted to maintain supremacy over black people, it changed. And so it went from one unemployed white person to two unemployed black people. That's why I had the series when I was talking about, you know, the New Deal. And what did I call it? New Deal or the shaft, something like that. You have to go and look it up. I did a three-part series on it and was detailing some of the ways in which the New Deal actually hurt the black community more than it helped the black community. And so, um, and the same thing with, you know, Latinos. You know, um, you know, they are, they're more in debt now than they were before, you know, President Obama took office. That part is correct. But what's interesting is what they're not putting out there is that more Latinos left America. There's more of them going back to Mexico than are coming here to this country. So what is that telling you? So, you know, go and take a look. And, you know, he's lying with some of these statistics. And this is why we're like, guys, you got to go out here. You need to look, you know, a lot of these things up. And um, oh, I see we have a call. Let me pull them into the conversation. All right, 215, may I ask who's calling? Hey, 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 it's Jen. How you doing? Hey, Jen, how you doing, hon? I'm doing all right. Making it. <laughs> What's good? Hey, What's good? That's how it's supposed to be. Yeah, so, you know, I'm over here talking about the White Lives Matter movement that Donald Trump is, you know, the leader of. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, man, I've just been just frustrating. I fr- frustrated. I've just had a lot of thoughts swirling around, and um, you know, one of the things that I just keep keep hitting on and keep thinking about every day and all the time and with every election and every time I pull a lever is, you know, what what candidates out here are um, helping the people with. Um, Hunger, lack of health care, lack of education, places to live. I mean, it, when I, whenever I go and think about uh, electing someone or, or, like, at least or voting for someone, I'm thinking, you know, which evil can we live with or die by? You know, because for the brown, the poor, and the disenfranchised, it seems like that everyone is a threat to our very lives. I mean, none of these candidates out here are talking about, you know, what's going on. And, you know, we're, we are worried about who's going to be in the white house. And, but at, but at the same, but at the same time, what's going to really change for, what's going to really change for us brown and poor people out here. 
I mean, exactly. we 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 brown people, poor people, disenfranchised. We really do need to get together. We do we do need to um, work on things for ourselves. And also, we I've been thinking about like how we we need we need some survival programs. <laughs> I mean, we right I mean, we got to survive out here right now. And we don't really we don't really own anything, so it's like okay, black person down the street is selling selling some clothes, but they're making them out of fabric made in China. You know, we don't own the fabric exactly. stores, we don't own the car companies, we don't own the ships, we don't own the planes. I mean, right. I mean, but at some point we gotta we gotta start somewhere, and we gotta do what we can. Another thing that um, you know about about this. I mean, like I've also been thinking about patriotism versus uh, jingoism. Um, these folks mm-hmm. that were listening, they they were just like, man, we don't care, we don't care what the U.S. does to people. We don't care about sending drone attacks. We don't care about a police state. We don't care about um, just blowing up people without a trial. I mean, so I mean, as a black as a black uh, female in this country, you know, the American flag is is uh, is, is just as much a symbol of death and destruction to my people as the Confederate flag. It's all the same to me. Right. Um, exactly. And the other. Exactly. And see, uh, go ahead, Jim. Go ahead. Yeah, a couple, couple other things. Um, you know, one of the I did listen to the talk, and I was like, he kept blurting out things, and I just kept thinking, how? How are you going to do this? Right. Like, he talked about. He talked about. Well, let's replace the Affordable Health Care Act. I mean, what with what? You know, you know, you're going to repeal and, and replace the Affordable Health Care Act, but there's no talk of universal health care. That's what we need. Um, you're talking about right. you're talking about rebuild the military with what? You're talking about you're talking about getting rid of getting rid of uh, within the first hundred days of office, asking all the government departments to submit a list within its first hundred days. Of, of where they can cut spending, and cutting spending means cutting jobs. What are they going to do? Put us all all brown people in prison so we can continue to to uh, you know fund the prison pipeline? You know, I mean, the last I checked, wasn't he sending his clothes to Mexico and China to be produced? Where's our fucking jobs? This shit is crazy. Right. This shit is just crazy. I'm just all. Yeah, it's just so many so many points that I could touch on related to that talk. I mean, I am so furious, you know. Right. And and I and I really don't. I mean, I really don't think that. I really don't think that Hillary's going to do an even better job. The Clintons have the Clinton have, have have proven that they think we're super predators, and they backed up their words. You know, we exactly. this country this this country holds over twenty five percent of the prison population in the world. And all and, exactly. and over over fifty sixty percent of them are are um are black people or brown people and and exactly. all of them are poor all of them are poor people because there aren't poor people in prison for long. <laughs> exactly, and see, and that's the thing that I've been trying to stress to people. Right, yeah, and that's one of the things I've been trying to stress is that poor people need someone out here advocating for them. The black community, exactly. we need some real people out here advocating for us. The ones that are in office, like I said, you need to judge them by what 
they have done, not by what they're promising they're going to do. Because, again, you know, they can make all the promises in the world and do absolutely nothing that benefits us but, you know, sign off on things that hurt our community. And like I was saying earlier, you know, talking about, you know, the guilt trip that black people have been on, you know, since 400 years ago, we have to understand that the oppression that we are under, it's not our fault. And we didn't create this mayhem and chaos. They did that. And, right. yeah, I mean, like I was not, talking about. Stop. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. You we're, know, not and, from, they, we're not starting from an equal play, playing field. It's all this talk exactly. about pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, what if you don't have any fucking boots? I mean, that's bullshit exactly. that I'm talking about. I mean, like, damn, you know, I mean, I'm only the sixth person to have ever even graduated from high school. And my whole family, what do you think my family was doing prior to that? I mean, they were, they exactly. were people's mammy. They were cleaning houses and scrubbing floors and working in kitchens and being porters and, and being kicked around. I mean, like, exactly. with, with, and, and not being educated. The only, the only book in a lot of, a lot of my people's homes was, that, was the Bible. To further, exactly. further, um, further enslave our minds and our judgment. And, and, and it, it's just, yeah, no, you're right. And, you know, what I was going to say is when you were saying that, you know, that also takes it back, you know, to the New Deal and how some of these policies were implemented and put in place. And what a lot of people need to understand is that people that were working in the agricultural arena or agrarians, as well as domestic workers, so the maids and all of them, they were excluded from Social Security, they were excluded for unemployment, they were excluded from a lot of those different programs in order to force them to remain in a domestic um, type of, you know, domestic servitude type of job, you know, industry, if you will. Right. And, you know, for many of that, that didn't change until the 60s. And what's so interesting about that is, uh, for many people that work for these nonprofit organizations, nonprofit organizations, i.e., y'all churches, y'all pastors don't have to pay um, any type of, you know, benefits or Social Security for the people that are employed by the church. So when many of them retire from working, you know, at the church for so many years, they're destitute because there was no money put into the Social Security system for them. And right. they have to rely on the government. Don't even get on the taxes. Exactly. They don't fucking pay. I mean, we. I mean, exactly. we could we could definitely use that that eighty billion dollars that that can go into our economy. Exactly, exactly. And one other thing that I want people to pay attention to, because you know the the Micah X Johnson guy in Dallas, the sniper, as well or so called alleged sniper, you know, because I still yeah. have some question marks about that situation. And the same thing about the um, um, the guy in Baton Rouge, that so-called sniper. I need for you all to start paying attention because it looks like they're getting ready to start this pattern, you know, of former servicemen, black servicemen, you know, coming back and, you know, being snipers and, you know, um, having anger towards law enforcement and all of that. So you all need to keep an eye on that. Because I'm seeing this pattern starting to come, and you need to pay attention because it's like, damn, you know, black servicemen can't even come back to this country and live in peace 
as they went across over there and you all claimed that you were liberating these places when all you were doing was going over there to install yourselves as the new dictator in chief, you know? So we exactly. need to pay attention to that. And neither yeah, one but, of those guys were affiliated with Black Lives Matter. I had to make sure I put that up there. They were not affiliated with Black Lives Matter. And so you have that false narrative being trotted, you know, through exactly. the you know, through the community. And I think it's important for you all to understand that. So but um yeah. ahead, what were you about to say? Yeah, but it but it's like it's like um, you know, also in the speech he talked about no one knows the system better than he does. I'm like, how arrogant are you? Are you? You know, and right. and and it's like for all these people who lost their their factory jobs and due to uh, factories closing up and and uh, trade deals. He said, I am your voice. Are you serious? Exactly. You don't fucking me. Yeah. <laughs> you and ain't see, down with the plan. Don't even right. fucking act like you care. Come on. Right, and see, Donald Trump, in so many words, and this is how I saw that, when he was making those blanket statements like that and building up these straw man arguments, because they were definitely straw man arguments there, he basically is saying that I am your God. I can make all this happen. I can make these changes. You know, I don't need anyone else, you know, and, you know, to a certain degree, I, you know, it's just I'm looking at him, and I'm like, here is our new dictator. You know, and just the way that he put all that together, it was disturbing. And the thing is, is that I'm going to have to sit back and watch it again. But we got a call. Let's let's pull them into the conversation. All right. May we ask who's calling here? All right. Uh, I'm just calling. uh, My name is Delray. I'm calling from uh, the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm just finding it a bit quite interesting, um, mainly because uh, it's you're perceived. Um, a lot of our, our brothers and sisters across the world are perceived a particular way, uh, and portrayed a particular way in the media over here. And a lot of these issues um, that you're coming up with are definitely um, are on point in terms of it, with us, with, in terms of our people, even over here, but especially across the world because that's your that's your land over there. Um, and those so-called law enforcement, they're not law enforcement, they're pseudo-servants anyway. They're not even supposed to be doing half the things they're supposed to be doing to our brothers and sisters across the waters anyway. Um, but for me, everybody's got to look at, uh, try and be solution-focused. And what Trump's doing is behaving as though he's some kind of um, sovereign, like he can do as he pleases. Um, the reason why he knows the system is because he's got, you know, he's, he's, he's a part of their secret society, so... He gets first-hand information from the Roman Jesuit cult, and he gets told what to do. He's just a puppet. Um, and so, basically, he's been in position whereby he wants everybody to vote for him, get on his side, um, and basically come with that kind of ridiculous talk that he's coming with as though he's some kind of messiah, and he's going to sort everything out when, basically, he's just a dictator. Um, and he's part of their exactly. group, so it don't matter which person you vote, whether you go for Hillary or if you go for him. The whole, my my whole point is, it's the fact that everybody keeps contracting with these idiots. When actually, Malcolm X said it best: if it doesn't work for you, leave it alone. And he was absolutely right. That that system and this beast has never done anything for our people, never did, done anything for us. Uh, and the only time they ever come round is when they want us to agree to uh, keep ourselves in this uh, involuntary servitude, in this slavery. It's all a fraud. Right, exactly, and that's what I find really interesting about it is when they come around and they do pay any attention to us, 
you know, basically they're they're kind of demanding us to give them our permission to oppress us even more. Yes. And, you know, that's Correct. what's happening. And what's right. interesting about what you're saying there, because, you know, a, couple, a few weeks ago I did a show. It was right after the Brexit passed, right? And I was talking about Donald Trump using, you know, a lot of the information from the playbook from, you know, certain conservative Europeans, and especially those that, you know, took part of that Brexit, you know, Johnson and all of those guys. And he's bringing the same things over here. It's the same playbook. And, you know, this is something that we're telling people to pay attention to as far as what he's trying to do and what he's trying to implement, what he's saying. You have to pay attention to the coded wording, all of that. But, no, you're absolutely correct. And this is happening around the globe, not just in the United States. And this is why, you know, I implore people that we have to start thinking globally. And when I see pictures from people from different parts of the world, you know, standing in solidarity with us, you know, some of the Koreans, we had people from England, you know, the Netherlands, all of that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we stand in solidarity with them because what happens in America definitely impacts other places. And so, you know, but thank you. Thank you for calling in because I definitely agree with what you said. And see, a lot of what you said was in tandem with our first caller today when he said, you know, basically, you know, if the system doesn't work, like you said, we need to walk away from it. And this system has never worked for people of color in this country. It's been utilized to keep us at a certain point. And like Travis said, you know, a lot of the churches in these communities, they come in and they suck up any little bit of extra money that many people of color have. And that's being done on purpose. And, you know, they have to maintain, you know, a certain amount of people that are, you know, unemployed or underemployed so as this system will not basically implode on itself. So it's it's interesting. You know, there's a lot of research and a lot of things that we need to look up. But, yeah, you know, this is a scary time, and we do need to start working on self-preservation at this point. You know, and this is why, you know, that's why we do these shows. And so thank you for calling in because it's like 10 o'clock your time, isn't it, 10 in the evening? Yeah, it's just about to actually, believe it or not, it's just about to go uh, 9 9 o'clock here. And I was just going to add on something else before I run and jump, which is you'll find interesting. Now, um, my research has been done not only just because we had the Brexit not that long ago and we've now got Theresa May who's just stepped in to be Prime Minister over here. Mm-hmm. No doubt she'll be meeting Obama before he so-called leaves office and before you get whoever he's supposed to come in. Although I don't know whether or not uh, Trump or Hillary will even get in. I think they might ex- extend Obama's time because basically what I've been looking at is... Um, have you ever uh, have, have you, have you ever heard of um, SDRs? Um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, SDR. SDR. No, no, S, D, no, no, S, is in S for sugar, D, R, S, D, R. Have you ever heard of it before? No, that doesn't sound familiar to me, Jen. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been floating around on the on the internet. Um, it's it's um it's about making sure that there's global equality and healthcare and housing and people being able to eat, but um. That's I I just know about it in a general sense. 
Okay. All right. Let me fill you in a bit more. Okay. Okay. You'll find this interesting. Visit you uh, visit uh, the United States cooperation because it's not a country; it's a corporation. And um, every every so-called country are actually, and I've found out is they're not actually countries. So the United Kingdom is a cooperation. United States is a corporation. And the thing that you'll notice that all of them have, they'll have a central bank. They'll have churches, which you lot clearly know about, which is part of the Jesuit Spanish Inquisition, which is spot on with that. And they'll also have um, a, a democracy. So they have certain types of government that serve them and have always served them. Now, what they're trying to bring in, um, and he let you know that Dave Francis, when he came over last September, um, is they're trying to bring in a new, a completely new system. Now, this current system functions on on our sweat equity, meaning for the birth certificates, they function through bonds. And you mentioned this in the prison system. This is why the catch. This is why the so-called law enforcement over there, as I do here, but more so over there, so-called pseudo servants as law enforcement keep gunning down our people because. Um, central government uh, funds law enforcement. The federal government over there, in terms of central government over here, but the federal government over there funds law enforcement. Now, they use what's called a, a foreign situs trust. And these trusts are set up, but they can only be accessed when you keep contracting into their this current beast that they've got running at the moment. And so law enforcement are then forced to go out to arrest people because they get paid based on the funding of how many arrests they make and how many killings they make of people's estates. So the problem is, is, is that that's, that system, this beast that's currently functioning, is functioning on a fundamental flaw, which is why our people are always being oppressed and classified as black Negroes as under their court system as their property. And so if we're not performing for these trusts, they can't make no fiat called paper off the estates to make sure they all get paid. So there's a conflict called a beneficial interest. It's a conflict of interest with our people, which is why they behave the way they do. Now, what's happening is the new SDR system, which stands for Special Drawing Rights, under the, uh, another global institution called the IMF and the Bank for International Settlement, is taking what they're trying to do in the BRICS nations, uh, Russia, um, Brazil, India, I think India and China, are being in a new system that's backed by uh, gold and silver, um, not so much based on everybody's equity. So they're trying to bring in a, what's called a, a, a newer system, a fair system that they're going to have in place that's going to be um, more, more what's there what people will like to class as being fair. Now, I don't trust any kind of monetary system, period, because we never used to have that back in the day. We didn't need that. So, But this new system means that they have to lock this old one down. And I think that's what's part of all this uh, drumming up of all these race wars over the, across the border with you lot right now, is they're trying to get everybody into this frenzy so they can have total order. So from the order, and so for total chaos, so they can bring the order from the chaos. It's called um, the Hegelian dialectic. So in order to bring in this new system, they have to have everybody on their knees fighting, kicking and screaming, going all crazy and all that badness, so that everybody will beg for a new solution. And that's exactly the contract they're going to bring in. So uh, for me, it's more about the new system they're bringing in place from between now and around about 2018. They're going to be implementing all this, and it's all coming in place. That's why they're kicking all this race stuff off at the moment, because they have to get everything in total chaos in order to bring the new order system in place. So that's what they're actually planning to do between now and over the next two years. So that's what's really happening, and that's why we've got law enforcement, pseudo-servants, gunning down our people specifically, because they're trying to ramp up all this foolishness and get everybody into this mad frenzy. So it's under SDR. So if you look at special drawing rights under IMF, that's what they're trying to uh, bring in. And that system 
will be a new form of slavery, but they, we have to all agree to it. And that's why they need everybody fighting and kicking and screaming. So we agree to this new beast that they're trying to bring on this period. So I just thought I'd end on that one there. Interesting. Wow, Interesting, because when Brexit was first passed and, you know, people were out here, you know, industries upset. And one of the first things I said is what's, the people that are going to be affected the most by Brexit are these bankers and these corporate, you know, honchos and all these people here because yeah. they benefit greatly from a centralized banking system. And so Correct. what happened with the Brexit is that's going to create, you know, some havoc for them, but not for long. And one of the things that I've tried to express to people and have them research is, you know, people were up here crying saying that, you know, the American Stock Exchange lost $1.5 trillion. And what I was trying to impress upon people is that money did not just disappear. If it's removed from one side of the equation, it has to be added to the other side. And what you need to be worried about in researching is who got that $1.5 trillion and what are they going to use it for? You know, and so it's just really interesting. But thank you for calling because, I mean, you know, he's right, you know, on a lot of that. And I do need to do some research on that SDR and, you know, what's coming, you know, what that's about. But were you about to say something, Jen? Oh, no, I, I thought that was very informative, and, you know, I, I heard about it briefly, but, yeah, it's definitely worth doing more research on it. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so, you know, again, with this particular show, you know, even though I'm talking about white lives matter, you know, my thing to everyone that's part of this movement that's out here, we need to stop centering white people. And when we see them doing that for themselves, we need to shut that down because, again, our liberation is more important than these white tears that are out here. And just because we're pro-black, we're pro-brown, we're pro-red, yellow, what have you, that does not mean we are anti-white. And, you know, what's interesting is is that some white people, you know, again, well, when we get out here and we start talking, they demand that we educate them, which is basically they're implementing their white privilege, you know, demanding that we educate them, demanding that we march for them, demanding that we keep them the center of the conversation. We'll never make any progress if we continue to allow that to happen. And we don't need to be out here, you know, begging them to recognize us as human. We don't need to convince them to be emotionally intelligent, you know, and and none of these things, you know. But, you know, I just see a lot of this people making these excuses. You got some people out here shucking and jiving and, you know, and, and, you know, basically defending white people. They don't need to be defended. They know exactly what's happening. They know exactly how it works. And many of them, as I stated earlier, they are not going to do anything to dismantle this system that will take away any entitlements or privileges from them. You know, so now we need to start working on the black community and doing what we need to do so that we can survive you know, and move forward and prosper, you know, you know, community-wise and, you know, individually as well. 
So, yeah, no, you know, I'm not out here, you know, running around, you know, just trying to educate white people. I do this show, and anybody can listen to it. And I know I have quite a few white people who do, and they learn from it, and, and that's well and good. You know, but the thing is, is that, you know, I'm definitely sending, you know, my heart to the people out here, and we just need to stop giving away all of our stuff, giving away everything. Anything that we do, trust me, there is someone capitalizing on it and someone profiting from it that does not look like me or you. And what's so interesting is is that many of these same white people, you know, they can Google everything else that they want, you know, but, you know, they can Google um, Justin Timberlake. They can Google, you know, um, you know, uh, what's that guy's name? Or any of these white artists that are out here. Google, you know, people that they like, but they will not go and Google and research things that can get them better acquainted and help them to understand racism. I don't understand that. They don't want to do that. They want us to do all of that for them. So, no. Stop doing all of the work to prove that you're human. Make them go out and look for some of this themselves. Stop begging them. And I'm seeing this happen in a lot of different communities. So, you know, you need we need to start respecting ourselves a lot more. You know, stop doing free work. And even if you're getting paid to do some work, for some of these white people and some of these, you know, organizations, white organizations, please understand that you're only getting, you know, paid pennies on a dollar. You're you're getting the scraps because they make much, much, much more money from what you're doing or what you're giving them, and you don't seem to understand that. And with some of you, you're setting a lot of our people up to fail. And so... You know, we're going to continue talking about these things and continue to address it, but we need to stop catering to them. Stop it. You got to stop it. And so that's just, you know, it's it's interesting. And, again, you know, we see some of these, you know, these atrocities on the news, and it may be, you know, a person of color who's the assailant or what have you, we do not need to feel guilty collectively. No one else is, you know, well, they are. They do ask that of the Muslim community. You know, they don't ask the Jewish community to apologize for when one Jewish person does something. So why is it that the entire black community has to feel responsible for when, when, when someone does something? We don't, we, no, that's not how that works. And then in addition to that, why do we have to be trotted out in front of the cameras and, and say that we forgive? And you have Al and Jesse on both sides of you, and, and, you know, they want you to say that you forgive these people and you're praying for them. You're not obligated to forgive anybody of shit. And what's being done, this is not an accident. This is being done on purpose. You know, and so, you know, white people are allowed to be individuals. Why aren't we? You know, so it's just, you know, it's it's just horrible. It's horrible. Horrible. And so like I was saying earlier about the domestic terrorism happening in this country, it's being allowed with impunity. 
No one is saying anything about it, you know. Um, and when I say no one, the black community is up in arms. But then that's soon squelched. And so it's just interesting because we have to always feel for all these different people and their communities. We have to feel their pain. We have to feel and understand their perspective, their side of the story, and then make their stories and their struggles primary over our own. How does that work? You know, so, and especially when these people seem to not give a damn about our pain or what we're going through, and then they turn around and try to make us feel guilty about even standing up to say anything, even standing up to say that this is wrong or this hurts me in this way. They don't give a shit about that, you know. And so, you know, it's just it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And when white people commit crimes or do anything crazy, of course, you know, they're alone. Mental or, illness. <laughs> yeah, mental, mental illness. illness. Yeah, they made a mistake. You know, or they'll find some type of excuse for it. Oh, because I'm really loving that. And they get them some Burger King. <laughs> yeah, they have it their own damn way, right? You know, <laughs> and you know that affluenza that really got me. You know, yeah. and so yeah, you know, with the first caller that called in, you know, I mean, I agree with a lot of what he said. You know, we have to <laughs> release a lot of these unnecessary burdens. And we need to embrace our own humanity and see the humanity in one another. And that's one of the problems that I've, you know, seen and, you know, have actually been a victim of. You know, you have people out here that will talk about, you know, we're humans and we're all equal. But when they disagree with someone or they're angry or they dislike someone, all of that goes out the window. They no longer sees that per- see that person's humanity. Right now, you know, at that point, you're every name in a book. And, you know, I'm talking to other people of color when I'm saying that. And we have to stop doing that. You so know, because is, we don't recognize. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, what did you think about what he was talking and uh, Trump was talking about in reference to uh people being able to go to safe schools of their choice. How does that work? <laughs> like right. You can put your child right. at any school they want. Really? How how does that work? What happens when they're over well, the see, <laughs> see, Well, see, that's the thing. You, you know, part of that. Move, how do you just move people? How do you just move people around and not fix whatever the issues are? Right. Oh, I got you. But part of that is part of that charter school agenda. And with the charter schools, those are for-profit. They make a lot of money, and they want to use the so-called school vouchers or just eliminate, you know, the um, you know public education as we know it in this country. They want to rewrite it, revamp it, and put these children in these charter schools. But, see, this is the thing. You know, studies have shown that charter schools do not provide a superior education for these young folks. And it's also being used as a tool for people to come into this country and get shuffled to the front of the INS line and bring their families over here. All they have to do is employ 10 Americans at their charter school. 
And so then, you know, they're rushed to the front and they can bring their families in. But, you know, what I'm trying to caution people on in regards to this charter school thing is, again, this is going to be used as a vehicle to disenfranchise, you know, people of color or children of color even more. And well, this is I've not seen, the first I've seen time a lot I've seen a lot of that right. firsthand. Um, you know, just in, in the case of charter schools, you sign your child up. Um, funding goes to public schools based on the number of students that are going to be, that are enrolled. Now, if right. these students are now uh, shifted, to, shifted to a charter school, then, you know, what happens is at the end of the year, they say, okay, you're, you don't, you don't um, your child's not performing at our standard. Your child is... Uh, you know, might have a learning disability. Your child might have a behavior issue. Your child, any any other re, any any reason they make up, they put your child out by like December. Come January, you're back in the public school system, and there's no funding for for your child. I mean, there's teachers, right, exactly. teachers, teachers as it is paying paying for their own school supplies and saying this is disgusting. Right. It really is. And you, you know, and that's one out, of the give the money back. How about that? Exactly. But again, you know, they you know, that's been used as a vehicle, you know, on many different occasions in this country. And, you know, there have been situations in which they have shut down the public schools and what they did is they opened up little private schools and the white children were able to go to those private schools while the black children received no education at all. I need to find that link and I'm going to post I posted it a few years ago talking about this but um, and that has happened before and that's the direction that we're going in because I remember when I was talking about the New Deal, not during that series but a couple of years ago and I was talking about how black people, even though they were paying taxes, their children were not allowed at one point to even take part in public education, even though they were paying taxes and being forced to pay taxes. And then, you know, there were some other, you know, situations that happened. But we need to understand and go back and look at that history because, again, as I've stated before, this is nothing new. This is the same old game, just different names, different, you know, different names on the agenda, different people profiting from it, but it's the same old bullshit. We have been studied all the way down to our toenails, so they know exactly how we're going to respond. They know what we're going to do. They know what we're going to say. This is why I say people must be strategic and tactical. We have to go about doing this and looking at this differently because, you know, they're killing us out here. You know, and truth be told, you know, we're fortunate because we're still alive. We were never meant to survive. And the fact that we continue to survive, it perplexes the hell out of a lot of them. You know, and, and that's why, you know, when I hear stupid shit, when I hear these police officers saying that, you know, some of the black people that they've encountered were like the Incredible Hulk or the Tasmanian Devil, so, you know, we, you know, magical Negroes, right? But at the same time, you see us as subhuman. So, you know, how does that work? So, again, you know, those of you out there that have privilege, whether you're white or black, you know, you need to start calling out these people who abuse their power and abuse their privilege. You need to call it out, you know, because, you know, basically that type of rhetoric when they're abusing power and privilege 
to disenfranchise, you know, people of color and poor people even more, they're rewarded and the system, you know, continues on. So, you know, what's interesting is you have all these other countries that understand what's happening with these particular movements out here, but America acts like they don't understand. And it's not that they don't understand. They're being willfully ignorant. They don't want things to change. Well, they want it to change. They want to take us back to the 1850s. That's the kind of change they want. You know, and you need to understand to what's happening, you know, out here. And and the thing is, even with the police that are out here murdering and, you know, brutalizing people in our country, you know, you have these people out here framing that particular situation as a misunderstanding or a mistake or different groups of people not listening to each other, and that's bullshit. And the guy that had his hands up on the ground, and they shot him in the leg any damn way, claimed that they were aiming for, you know, the, the, the young man that was autistic. But why would you want to, you know, shoot an autistic kid playing with a toy truck? That is a toy truck. The guy told them that you can see that it was a toy, and, and and you shoot the guy in the leg, and then your response is, "Well, I'm doing what I have to do. I came to serve and protect the community, and that's what I did." This is bullshit, and this is why I'm saying we 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 have to stop it, you know, and we have to continue to confront it, and you know. It's just, it's amazing. And the thing is, is that what really pisses me off about this, again, the victim blaming, and then demanding that we find a solution for these problems that they created and that they benefit from. And then when we call ourselves finding a solution, they find every excuse in the book as to why that won't work while they sit around and do nothing and watch us spin our wheels and watch us participate in, you know, in exercises of utility. So, again, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but it's important for you guys to pay attention and see what's happening in these communities, the predatory, you know, arrests, you know, the predatory lending you know, with the redlining and all of that under there. And I always talk about Uber because, you know, Uber will show up when a taxi won't. But, you know, what's happening with Uber is some of the people that go and apply and work for them, they can get car loans through Uber. And if you go and you look up some of the information about that, that's predatory as well. So this is why I tell people you got to read. You know, go out there and read and get a better understanding. And most importantly, you know, follow the money. Follow the okay. money. Okay. Well, oh, thank you huh? so much for having me on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, you know, yeah, because we're down to the last six minutes of the show, and I'll just leave your mic open. You can put it on pause or if you're going to hang up. But thank you for calling okay. in. It was, a, it was okay. a pleasant surprise. Thank you, ma'am. You know, and <laughs> I just right. think <laughs> <laughs> you know, but no, I think it's important for us to have these conversations. And like I said, you know, next week's show is going to be All Lives Matter. That's what I'm going to talk about, and I'm going to break it down and tell you what All Lives Matter to me and what, you know, if you're going to bring that to me, which you should have in place. 
or you should be putting together a team so that you all collectively can put some of these, you know, different scenarios in place and, you know, be a real ally, you know, be a real ally. You know, you have so many people out here calling themselves social justice warriors, right, and it's just a title. You're not doing shit in these communities, these poor and working class communities. You're not doing anything. It's the same old shit for some of you, just going from one conference to the next conference, and they have a social justice banner or designation there, thereof, and you're not doing anything, not a goddamn thing besides talking shit on social media, you know, and talking shit with your friends, but you're not implementing and you're not helping. And if you're not helping, you're hurting. You know, that's something that I need for you guys to understand. And what's so funny is, you know, I've been doing this show for several years, and I've talked about people in these different communities, right? And, you know, one thing that I've stated in the past, and I still stand on it, is you have a lot of people, you know, in some of these different communities that have run out of ideas. They have nothing to talk about. They need to have some type of rallying call, something that, you know, gives them or make it seem as though they have a legitimate agenda. And a lot of what the rhetoric that you hear coming from them has been stolen from black people, mainly black women. You know, they'll hear a couple of talking points, they'll take that information, and then they'll act like they discovered this. But in all actuality, with some of these people in some of these different communities, and I'm talking specifically about some of the white people in these communities, they come over, they steal these titles and claim that they're down for the cause, and they're not doing shit and they don't give a damn. And this is why you hear and you see people running around calling them posers, you know, or pseudo-social justice warriors. They just picked up a cause because whatever it was that they were rallying for initially pretty much is dead. So think about that. you got a bunch of them out here, and you need to start calling them out too. I've been calling them out for a few years. You know, and you have some people or these so, some so-called leadership in these communities that see themselves as the great white hope or, you know, the great white savior of, you know, the peons and, of color. And it's amazing because they don't do anything to back it up. You know, yeah, giving a few dollars here and there, that helps out a little bit. But what's so interesting is with a couple of those people, I've seen them give money to some of these other organizations out here, and these organizations aren't doing anything. You know, one or two of them are actually doing what they say they're going to do. However, you know, like I said, you got to go behind the curtain and pay attention to what the wizard is doing and listen very closely to what the, you know, the wizard is saying. But, yeah, you got a lot of posers out here. And so they're just championing these things because they think it sounds cool. They think it means that they're going to be more accepted in the black community. But most importantly, you know, they're doing it because they don't want, you know, basically if your movement is dead, what is there for you to rally behind? So why not go and appropriate, 
you know, some more, you know, um, people of colors campaigns and, and, and what's happening out here. You talk, all, talk about all of these different things, but you're not doing anything. You're just taking what we put together in, in our rally call, and you're just taking it and using it to your benefit while you pontificate and talk about nothing at all. And we're going to talk about that. So next week, All Lives Matter, Plantation Politics. Thank you guys for tuning in. I appreciate it. You all have a good rest of the weekend or the rest of the Sunday. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.